Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. This is a podcast based on international politics, international relations, anything interesting that is going on in the world politically or otherwise. And this man breaks it down for you, Dr. Keith Souter. And there's no one better suited to this kind of thing because you just make it so easy to understand, Keith. And it's such a feat because some of these issues are particularly complex as well. So three PhDs on the issues of, of international politics. You've been a commentator in Australian media for many, many years. We've worked together for quite a number of years now. My name's Kate Mack. We used to work together in television. Well, let's get into this one because plague, protests, Poverty, what a year it has been, Keith. <laughs> yes, I've been asked um, to give an end-of-year review and I was trying to make sense of the year and I thought that perhaps the best way of, of talking about the year in review, the year 2020, is to talk about plague, protests and poverty because this has been the year of COVID. None of us a year ago were predicting just how bad it was going to be and 2020, for those who survive it, will be one of the most momentous years in a person's life. Never before have governments closed down economies for any reason, let alone for a virus that we didn't know about a year ago. So if you look at, for example, the two world wars in the 20th century, you can look at the economic statistics, but you can't see where those wars occurred because the economy kept going. So a lot of the the workforce went off into fighting. Homemakers got recruited to work in the factories. Industrial life continued, in fact, probably increased. So the factories were kept busier than ever, building tanks and warships rather than just, say, cars. Now virtually every national economy has declined and the world is in an economic recession. So it's interesting, a recent statement by the UK government has had to go back 300 years to find a comparable time of rapid economic decline. It's actually the great frost of the year 1709. That was apparently when when this uh, mini ice age just swept over the UK in the year 1709, and that just depressed everything in the UK. The UK is usually picked on because it's got a, a better system of national economic statistics than pretty well any other country in the world. And so 1709 was the last time we were in such a bad situation in the UK. Well, can I ask though, Keith, because obviously, um, you know, the economic damage has been so bad that we were expecting. It's a lot, it's, in Australia particularly, it looks like it's a bit better than we thought. Yeah. But during Spanish flu, wasn't that, that was the last big plague of the, of the 20th century and it went around the world and killed 50 million people. Did that not have the same effect? No, it didn't create an economic crisis. Wow. Yeah. And in this, I might say, by the way, the global financial crisis in 2008 didn't create a public health crisis. So COVID is unique because with COVID, we've got both. And uh, in fact, it's worth bearing in mind that after the flu pandemic of the 1920s, you then get the Roaring Twenties. Remember the great Gatsby novel, which was filmed just down the road from where we're speaking? So COVID is really unusual in terms of international politics. So when I was asked to do this review of the year, I, I opted for keeping a focus on COVID and then looking at it under three headings is what I mean by the plague, the protests and poverty. So looking at the plague, clearly in the case of China, it bungled the initial response. There was a lack of transparency, huge amount of damage to brand China. I don't think it's going to lead to anti-Chinese 
feeling in the community, but certainly wariness of brand China. Remember, we've been talking about this China century, the Chinese century. Well, there are a lot of people who are saying, we don't want to hear anything more from China. Thank you very much. But I agree. You say they don't, it didn't tarnish their reputation, but I think I would argue that it did because those wet markets, the fact that it goes on, how it, how they, how the, you know, the initial theory is that they even eventuated COVID-19 and then the way that they kept it quiet and didn't yeah. tell anyone. Yeah, so I actually think it did some, I think there's, yeah, not, not very nice things to be said about China in no, circles that I move in. Not at all. So clearly China bungled it. So even though China itself is, is pretty well recovered in economic terms, it is in trouble because its trading partners are in trouble. It needs to have a flourishing American economy for Americans to buy products from China. And so you don't get that happening. So even though China thinks, okay, well, we've got we've got over the plague, well, your partners haven't, and you need them to be uh, flourishing. In the case of the United States, obviously a lack of political leadership. I think Donald Trump, if he were reflective, I'm not sure that he is, but if he were reflective, and look back over his four years in office. He talked the crisis down and tried to be centre stage at media conferences rather than allowing the experts to have more say. So he would then just run off at the mouth and talk about injecting yourself with disinfectant. My own feeling is that if COVID did not occur, Trump may well have been re-elected this year. Most presidents do get a second term, and Trump would have got that. Interestingly, in 2016, he did brilliantly at mobilising fear. But this time round, he was trying to be optimistic. Well, that's what Mrs Clinton did in 2016. What Trump should have done is to have said, we're being attacked by this Wuhan virus, in other words, ramping up the anti-China feeling, and make himself a wartime president. Every president in the United States who's been up for re-election in a war going all the way back to 1812, has been re-elected. The Americans rally around the flag. But I don't understand why Trump didn't um, capitalise more so on the anti-China sentiment because he called it the China virus from the get-go. He was so outspoken in terms of blaming China. Why yeah. didn't he go harder? Exactly. Well, I just don't know. I think that if he's... I think a lot of us in political science are going to spend a lot of time as to why Trump, who was brilliant at mobilising fear, decided to mobilise optimism which is where he destroyed Mrs. Clinton four years ago. <laughs> and and it's, an, of course, enabled Joe Biden to exploit fear. Yeah. So it's really ironical. So Trump, as I say, I think would have been re-elected had it not been for the poor handling of the COVID crisis. And the other thing we've, we've got to, um, again, remind ourselves is that the Obama administration had negotiated with China to have American medical observers stationed in China. It was called the PREDICT program because China and the US recognise that a lot of diseases emerge from China. Therefore, if you had American experts based in China and the agreement said they would have officials based in Wuhan, then they would have got an early warning of this. But Trump did not implement it. It's an Obama agreement. Therefore, he said, I will cancel it. And so actually exposed America to grow, and the rest of the world because there was no one there monitoring it and enabled the, the Chinese, therefore, just to play fast and loose with the truth.
You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. We're talking today about, and I want to get in the right order this time, plague, protest, poverty, 2020. What a year, Keith. It's yeah. the year in review. <laughs> and really, it's not nothing like anything any of us have ever experienced before. No, and hopefully we're not going to go through it again. Although, you know, people are saying, you know, remember you began, Australia began the year with bushfires, all the speculation, floods, Something odd is happening with the weather. Mm. Perhaps something is odd happening with the environment. Remember, this is a disease that came out of the environment. So that's the plague. Let me just talk to about the protests now because we've had this reaction Mm. to government power, the continued use of fear to create a culture of acceptance of authoritarian rule. People are clamouring to be told by governments what to do. She's extraordinary in, in developed nations. Yep, yeah. So um, you've got authoritarian leaders uh, like uh, those of Turkey, Hungary and the Philippines who are using this as an opportunity to consolidate power. You've also got the growth of what's called surveillance technology. So Shoshana Zuboff at Harvard has written a very interesting book called The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. So she wrote the book before COVID came along and she was just simply dealing with the power of the big tech companies to know so much about what's going on in your life. So uh, someone like Google will get to know more. The Google homepage is the most visited homepage on the web around the world. And Google knows more about you than you know Mm. because it tracks down every time you make an inquiry and 80% of search engine inquiries are done through Google. And so she is uh, warning about this, what she calls surveillance capitalism. And it is interesting how the intelligence agencies are saying to these big tech companies in the United States, I guess also in China, give us access to that data because you've got people who normally complain about being spied on just happily for free giving information to Facebook. And so the National Security Agency are saying to Facebook, we need access to that information. You will enable us to spy on Americans without us having to tell Americans they're being spied on. So this is surveillance capitalism. So there's a book by Shoshana Zuboff, very good writer, very impressed with her work. And also, of course, you've got the era of conspiracy theories. Oh, God. <laughs> so you've got the use of social media as a way of spreading the theories. And we've looked at that, of course, in this mm. podcast series. And you've got all this speculation about... Uh, where the virus emerged from. Was it a plot by Bill and Melinda Gates? So it's really quite amazing on how much is now going around the world as conspiracy theories. Some People of them, love just, them. They're so far-fetched. They're so far-fetched, aren't they? Well, they are to you and me because we're, we see ourselves as being middle of the road and sensible. But they would say, well, they're being middle of the road and sensible. It's people like us who are too trusting or been sucked in by uh, the government. Etc. It's like the QAnon conspiracy, which we've looked at in this oh, in this series. Mm-hmm. That that is continuing, and in fact, it now there's at least one member of the U.S. Congress who is an open supporter of the Q, QAnon conspiracy theory. So they've now got a toehold in Congress. So they're going to be able to talk about the deep state in the United States. Oh God! I've got to say, going back to China, that it has given us both the Wuhan virus, to use Trump's expression but also the social credit and technological control of populations. Remember, we've looked at this again in these podcasts, the way that in China the bank accounts are limited to the IT system. 
you've got a cashless society, and you've got facial recognition technology. And you can build up or lose points in their social credit system. My favourite example of this is that if they see that you're buying diapers, that means you're looking after a child, which is good. You're a good parent. On the other hand, if they can see you're spending too much time with online pornography, you will lose points, right? So in August, when you go to the railway station to buy a ticket to go to your ancestral village to put flowers on the grave, they will say, sorry, you don't have enough social credit points. We can't sell you a ticket. That is just extraordinary. And it just makes as well you're stifling creativity in those sorts of environments because you're not encouraging people to live a life and to take some risks and to do interesting things. You're asking them to be cookie cutter. Yeah. And, of course, you know, this reminds me of the years that during the Cold War when I travelled a lot behind the Iron Curtain and the way in which when you were talking to people about certain topics, you know, they would just sort of motion to you to stop and they would then take you into a place where they assume you couldn't be recorded. And then you could have the conversation. Yeah. Wow. So we're now going back into that sort of era where people are now monitoring all that they're saying with the risk that they they could work. They think they may well be spied on. Now, they may not be spied on, but they think they're being spied on. Therefore, they are careful about what they do. We've just had a person arrested in Australia who um, used an online technology to look for how to make bombs, et cetera. Mm. And the police were able to monitor that person's alleged activities by virtue of what he was doing on the internet. And that's the thing. Yeah. People should be careful now. Absolutely. And poverty. And poverty. So this is the third strand. It's worth bearing in mind that we've got three forms of wealth transfer underway. So this was happening before COVID. So one is generational. You've got older people who are dying and leaving a vast amount of wealth to their children uh, who would be, I guess, middle-aged. So you've got older people dying off, so it's a generational transfer of wealth. These are the people who lived through the Depression uh, of the 1930s, World War II, uh, perhaps bought their homes very cheaply at the end of uh, World War II, and that those homes have accumulated massively. Most Australians that I meet are on paper millionaires because if they live in Sydney or Melbourne, they technically own a home that's worth a million dollars. And they are dying off, and those homes are going down to the next generation. So one is generational change and trans- generate in terms of wealth transfer. A second lot of wealth transfer is geographical, which uh, relates to the return of China. So remember, China was a third of the global economic output 400 years ago. It's now going back to that status. So China is growing uh, rapidly and other countries are in comparative decline, the United Kingdom, for example. And then thirdly, we've got the technological change that's going on from going back to Britain. 1750, manufacturing process, and you had factories. Now the wealth doesn't come from manufacturing. It comes from online services like Amazon and Facebook. And what we've seen is that COVID has actually enhanced those transfers of wealth. And so the rich have done very well this year. The rich will finish this year even richer than they were at the beginning of the year. And there's a reluctance of governments to take on those big IT corporations. We're just seeing a bit of an inkling of it at the moment in the United States. Why has that been such an issue, Keith? Why don't they want to take them on? Oh, because they're just so powerful. We're back to where we were in the 1890s in the United States 
when you had the railroad corporations and then the big oil companies, and you had what is called the Sherman antitrust legislation. Now what has happened is, is that the corporation, the IT corporations, Facebook, et cetera, have just become so big and so powerful. Some politicians, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, in the United States are campaigning to take them on. But don't forget the, the incoming vice president is the senator from Silicon Valley. Kamala Harris isn't going to take on her donors, so that, that's going to be a real problem. So I think we've got a risk of, of increased instability. The dominant view, worldview that we have amongst politicians is the poor have too much money and the rich don't have enough. In other words, that we beat up on the pensioners, we prevent them from getting too much money, and then we give tax cuts to the rich. That is the dominant way of thinking. You see that in Australia as well as the United States, the United Kingdom. Economic growth is the glue that holds society together. So declining growth could lead to more violence. And I think that working from home, for example, may exacerbate the digital divide. Working from home is great if you're like me and you've got your own home studio and your home office, but not if you're competing with your children for the use of the kitchen table, for example, or you've got lousy internet connection. I've got, I'm with Telstra, I have an appalling connection. I've been offline on and off now for a year because of Telstra. So, and that's supposed to be our, our best telecommunications corporation. So we do very badly when it comes to this digital divide. And of course, you know, we've got the whole question of social media and global communications, which means that inflammatory incidents can quickly get out of hand very rapidly. If you think of the film footage, which has helped trigger the Black Lives Matter mm. campaigns. So there, there are some really big changes that are taking place. So in order to stave off the worst that could possibly happen in that realm, which is, as you say, poverty, the just, just, you know, the difference between the rich and the poor continues to grow. The poorer get poorer. Anger grows around the world in various nations. Pr- more protests. You know, how do, you, how do we stop that even happening? Well, we know what we've got to do. It's just that we don't do it. You know, politicians know what to do, but they don't know how to get re-elected after they've done it. Clearly increase taxation on the very wealthy and provide more financial assistance to poorer people and for the government to get back involved in running the economy and taking on more projects and helping to create new forms of technological breakthrough. It may well be that what we're going through now, thanks to COVID, is a major transformation so that we've got now a fourth industrial revolution. So we've got the role of artificial intelligence. So many of our decisions are now made by artificial intelligence for good or bad. You've got the rise of what's called transhumanism. So that'll be the blending of human beings with computers. So we will enhance the body by inserting computer components in them. The problem is many humans are now surplus requirements. Great. <laughs> Rosy future ahead then. It is, yeah. It's, we've got uh, real problems and it's so difficult to get politicians to pay attention to these big issues. So we watch this space then, Keith. Not Absolutely. A lot we, not a lot we can do in the meantime. As always, enlightening. Thank you. Global Truths was presented by Dr Keith Souter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.